Hello, wise people. You are listening to the Wise Words Book Club, where we review some of our favorite nonfiction books and we provide you with their key ideas. Not only that, but we teach you how to apply them to the real world and how to benefit from them. If you like what you hear, make sure you click that sexy little follow button and head on over to our website, wisewords.blog, or our Instagram, wisewordsblog, where we upload daily content on all your favorite books. So, without further ado, let's get started. So, How to Have Impossible Conversations. What a book. And I think it's more poignant than ever, to be honest, with everything going on around the world and no one wants to talk to anyone with a different opinion. This book, they need to read. In fact, everyone kind of needs to read it because we all have those kind of topics that are kind of off... I'll say taboo, like taboo is yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like, especially like you look at the world now with gender politics and, um, oh, there's just actually like so many aspects. There's race, there's gender politics, there's, uh, yeah. Political just, views, like, I mean, political. Just, yeah, everything, everything that you can find a way to have an argument is we somehow managing to find it. Um, yeah. But that's where, that's where you kind of get this kind of like, um freedom of speech coming through because it's like you should feel free to express your opinion and someone hear it and without judging it you know mm-hmm. it's like there should no be no judgment really because there's no certainty in whatever we say really mm-hmm. it's like you hear someone and it's not therefore if they don't know something or if they're like you know have never come across this and the only thing they've come across is some point that is contrary to ours you know, but don't judge them for it. Um, yeah, and this book basically um, uh, by Peter Bughausen. It's, 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 I was about to say this, this, this book is all about how, how to ha- how to have impossible conversations. Is it title? <laughs> I was, 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 was going to say like let's try and define from my memory of what they defined an impossible conversation as. And like, yeah. I, I want to say it was something along the lines of when the other person will not listen to your, or basically they're going to shut you down without hearing you out. An impossible mm-hmm. conversation is when you're probably both talking about completely different topics under the same terminology. So what yeah. I mean by that is somebody can say something about uh, the government and they mean a specific aspect of what the government does. And you could be talking about another aspect, but you're basically conflating the two and you're basically yeah. arguing. You're arguing because you can't agree on the definition of what you're arguing about. Um, yeah. So this whole this whole book is about like probing people who seem to be very extreme in their views or not going to budge or they they can't believe you see the world the way that you see it or that but perhaps even you're the you're the person who can't believe that anybody sees yeah. the world the other way. This is a book about um, exploring doubt. It's about exploring other people's opinions and uh, bringing back in my head the art of listening because I don't see many people actually listening to others. Uh, I mean, we could we could even frame it as like what what we do as well. Sometimes when we're having a conversation, mate, it's like we we're so excited to say our bit next, or we're so yeah. to make. so we're not <laughs> listening. We're too busy like going yeah 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 okay yeah yeah okay. Now I'm gonna jump in with my point. Um, we're not actually listening to what that person's saying and like why they're saying it. Yeah, this book for me is probably I've read a few books on communication now, and it's it's definitely probably the best probably the best way i'm trying to think i mean there's another really good one never split the difference but that's more negotiation anyway but this mm-hmm. is probably the most all-round best book on how to deal with 
tough topics with people yeah. and i've read other books called like difficult conversations which tend to be about more more around relationships but even this book itself is uh fantastic for relationships i, I would say well, it's just very it's incredibly practical which once again is in the title a very practical guide but like it's very practical and the way it's laid out is very simplistic you basically just got a bunch of points for each um each chapter and it kind of goes from like beginning to adva- beginner to advanced mm-hmm. and like splits it up into different chapters like okay well once you've mastered the kind of fundamentals then you can move on to the you know the wider points uh things that just like kind of are like the polishing aspect yeah um but I think it's, it, to be honest, I don't even see this book as like how to have impossible conversations, just basically how to have conversations. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's so many people don't know how to. And like you were just saying, you know, we, we are perfect. We are prime examples of when we have a point, we just want to say that and we're not listening. Mm-hmm. But right there, that's, that's like a conversation should be both people listening because if you're not listening, then you can't internalize what they're saying to then make it like mix with your thoughts. And then you say what you think, mm-hmm. you know, it's like there's such important aspects of how to talk to someone. Because what's the point of talking to someone if you're just trying to say what you're what you want to say? Mm-hmm. I think one you of the know? he brings up later in the book, but I'm going to touch on it now. A really important point or really interesting way of showing that you're listening is by being able to repeat back to the person who's just told you a point exactly what they meant by the point so like mm. back not word for word but like basically summarizing what they're saying so in the book never split the difference he does it he talks about it as well one of the best ways to get somebody to to like to, to understand that you've been listening to them is to basically repeat back what they're saying what, they, what they've just said to you but in a way that they haven't like in a way that you've got the core point of what they're trying to say you're going to get me so you kind of summarize what they were saying to you yeah. like oh is this yeah. what you're trying to say to me and then that shows you're really listening yeah i was just about to say it's so interesting how little that ever happens to me or or even i do it to other people do you know I mean i don't do it to other people but it's so interesting how yeah. people can actually recite back to you what you meant and that just shows that we're all in sort of grounded conversation where we're all just too busy thinking about ourselves what we're going to say next like, oh oh he said a story about this oh i got a story like that as well let's just jump in and like you know it's almost like back to that elephant in the brain like sh- conversations like a, a way of showing off to each other so you're both like yeah i'm not, I'm not saying yeah. that it's, like, it's definite conscious like oh we're all just trying to out compete each other but it's definite level of like oh, i want to put my two pence in i want to put my two pence in instead of saying hang on yeah. a second let's go back and let's just listen to this person speak and you know hear yeah. them out first before i add something um so that that reminds me let's just get straight into the sort of the fundamentals because basically what the fundamentals are is the sort of understanding the why of the conversation and getting deep below the sort of mindset that you should be in Mm. so the first thing they say is you need to switch your mindset from winning like an argument so let's go back to the context of an argument now you want to switch it from winning to understanding understanding Mm. being understanding why the person opposite you believes the things they do and why it matters to them etc is yeah. all good trying to win an argument but I, you read how to win friends and influence people you like the, the honest deep truth is you never win an argument yeah. they might just say oh yeah you're right to shut you up that is probably the most realistic chance or like the, that's probably the nicest thing they'll do to you is just say yes and agree with you but that's only to shut you up you don't win by arguing and trying to like what's the word um dominate somebody else because that's the way i see it if you're trying to win an argument you're almost trying to dominate but that's exactly it. And, you know, if, if if someone knows that you're trying to be the winner in a conversation, why would they back down and suddenly be like, oh, okay, yeah, no, you're right. It's like, it it, it shouldn't be about winning or losing. It sh- it's just neutral, you know? 
it should be about understanding the other person's point so that you know you both can find or understand the truth of the matter and that it comes he like brings us up in terms of like what's your goal about it and a lot of like the, uh, the things that he brings up are like you know if you just go in with like a learning mindset you know that you're you're just curious it doesn't matter what they say you know it could be wrong it, it could be right but really what is wrong right different different topic but it's just like yeah having a goal but like having a learning attitude, a curious attitude when you go into something rather than like, Oh, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to change their mind. Cause for all, you know, you know, you could have the wrong, the wrong mindset. You could be wrong. 100%, like, yeah. I was going to say, actually, just so we can, I feel like this book, okay, right. Just from looking at this and this is also me just doing what I just said. I had a point and I just completely brought it into you here, but I think it's better if we go through it as we go through yeah. the argument, Absolutely. this is almost, you're building up from an argument, right? So, so like the arguments just started to happen you're infuriated because they're not listening to you. So what do you do first? Okay. The first thing you should do is think about the goals. Like you just said, the goals of the conversation. Do you want yeah. to beat them down and submit, make them submit? Or do you want to actually understand them? Could you be the one who's in, in the wrong here or could you be the one who's misunderstanding so i think also another rule here is you should always take agency for at least yourself and try and understand them first even if they're not understanding you um then the next point is so you've shifted this mindset from winning to now you're just trying to understand you're a bit curious so now you need to switch to this idea of them as a conversation partner rather than an adversary Um, yeah you've said this a bunch of times in terms of like um metaphors mm-hmm. with uh reframing something from an argument to like a dance ah, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, because yeah. then you end up seeing it as like a cooperation a cooperative yeah. like aspect rather than a duel or a fight mm-hmm. um and it's exactly like a conversation maybe it's a study partner or like so it could be like a dance or you could see this person as a study partner i don't know yeah or you could well see- there's probably loads of different relationships yeah. in which they're more like yeah. you know is any because um, it's basically one of the things he's saying is you need to shift from an opponent to like this person is this person is a partner and I can learn from him, including learning exact like mainly learning why they believe what they believe. Like that, I think yeah. that's the core. You need to understand why they believe what they believe. Um, yeah, because if you go in with the mindset that they are the enemy, then yeah. that's going to change your whole approach. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, true. And he, I, I like this as well because he talks about saying like you know how sometimes you sort of somebody says something like maybe a conspiracy theorist or somebody who just has this really far-fetched opinion and you think how could somebody fucking believe that and he talks about this idea of switching that to like how could somebody believe that like like a small change of like curiosity rather than uh incredulity that's what he says like so it's going to change it to like an aggressive like why the fuck would somebody believe that to like oh actually hang on a second that's a bit weird how can somebody actually believe that that's interesting I quite like that because it's a subtle shift. It's like literally the same phrase. Yeah. It's just, it's just the 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 motive behind it is from from basically the motive changes from ego domination to be like, oh, I'm better than you. Like, how could you believe that? To actually, hang on a second, this is weird. Somebody believes something completely different to me, yet we're on the same planet. How yeah, exactly? It's so that? jarring. Um, but it it makes a lot of sense in terms of like you know, I I don't particularly like the the um statement or like phrase like um conspiracy theorist because it is basically just a different opinion that is the complete opposite of the spectrum of the mainstream you know but look at how many times that someone has proposed something like look at like we we thought that earth was flat you know and then someone was like oh no no, no it's round yeah yeah can you imagine yeah <laughs> the, the conspiracy theorist think it's round it's like like could you imagine be like wait you're fucking you're fucking stupid <laughs> Oh, it it, it doesn't uh, make conspiracy theorists in my head, right? It's, it's, an art, 
is a weaponized, it's weaponized language. It's weaponized language to marginalize anybody who has an alternative opinion. It's a way to basically say you're cuckoo because mm. you're conspiracy yeah. theorist. It's like it's like a way of putting traits onto somebody who shares a different opinion. I appearance, uh, sorry, yeah. a different opinion. Um, I basically got mixed up then because I was thinking the better word for me would be contrarian, like a contrarian opinion. Yeah. And then yeah. conspiracy. No, that is, yeah. It means there's agency behind it. I was about to say conspiracy means there's like some sort of plot behind it. Whereas contrarian opinion, yeah. like, you know, there's just different connotations of the word, right? And that's what I mean by the weaponized language. Like the moment you label somebody's conspiracy, you label them as cuckoo. Yeah. You label them as a contrarian, they become like an entrepreneur or like an innovator. You know, that yeah. kind of, you know what I mean? It's like two different uh, perceptions. It's interesting. The other day there was. um. There was a a, a protest in um, central London, and it was all about you know they don't want like a second lockdown, yeah. and uh, talking about like COVID and a lot of like cover ups from the BBC, all these these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And there were like twenty thousand people. Okay, like that's a fucking big march. Mm-hmm. And then the newspaper basically were just like twenty thousand conspiracy theorists. It's like, well, wait a minute. There's twenty thousand people that all have the same opinion. Why is that? Like, mm. if it's just like something that is against the mainstream or whatever, but it's it seems ridiculous to go into something without you knowing what their actual point is, not actually listening and just yeah. being going like, well, you've got a reason for saying this. You've got an agenda. You yeah. want to be in as we- weaponized weaponized language. It's basically. Yeah basically trying to blow off the whole movement in one word by adding conspiracy theorist. It's basically mm. saying, look at these bunch of cuckoo people turning up and actually caring about the fact that their business is getting shut down because the government have decided to intervene. Um, but I don't actually have sides to be honest, but it's just like, it's really interesting how you never hear the other side. You just basically just get, yeah. and then you get put, you get yeah. marginalized by the label and then, yeah, it's not really reported properly, is it? Not nobody's ever said, "Oh, which? What? Why are these people protesting?" Let's go interview a few of them and hear their sort of yeah. aspirations. It's just it's... because I think it's this like kind of fear or scared aspect that they could be right, or the, as in like they could be wrong. As in like you know, oh, I don't want to hear their side of the story because I don't want to be proven wrong. Yeah, you know, true. it's such a firm belief that like it's like, oh well, you know, it makes me look stupid. It makes me look weak. Those kinds of aspects. Another thing is, you really think about it, mate. They've most people have already sort of consci- like already stuck to the lockdowns, right? It basically would be saying to them, after all the effort you put into defending the country by staying put, you now actually did it for no reason. And I'm not. That's yeah. not true. But that is the rationalisation. That's why they can't do it. It's like it's yeah. like you. It's like you doing something for like five years to find out it was never like. It's like basically right, okay praying for like half a year because you got into religion and finding out it doesn't exist is pretty jarring because i guess it's it's like expertise bias or whatever it's called you know it's like if you indulge in something so much if you're a scientist that's been working on something for 20 years and then you find out that there's some evidence that proves it wrong it's going to make you look like a tit if you suddenly be like oh well i was wrong the whole time yeah that's why you've got it conflicts of interest to to so that's almost why all science is progressed by the new the new like um what's the word the new guard like the younger sort of generation to a degree yeah the older generation get all entrenched in their ideas and then it takes somebody who's gonna completely revolutionize it to come in and be like hang on a second you guys are all seeing it the wrong way and obviously yeah. they're never, like the more they cite each other's work the better they look if you yeah. get that's just the way academia kind of works so the more citations you get the more verification that you your ideas are great the better you look so that's almost like they're looking for that sort of validation yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, uh, kind of on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, that's why you should reframe your partner, what your yeah. conversation partner, as 
a partner rather than an enemy. Um, it then goes into rapport. You want to talk a bit about that? Thomas, man, I'm going off my notes here, so I didn't my my I didn't get straight into rapport here. Um, if you wanna if you wanna do it, because I got here basically saying something like the next step is obviously you you've now got them as um as a partner in your head, right? So you're gonna treat them a bit yeah. differently. So the next one is like making your goals of collaboration and understanding explicit. So okay. example, let's just say they said something, you'd be like, oh wow, that's a really interesting idea. Like how did you how do you how do you come to see it that way? You know, it was that idea yeah. of like, or I really want to understand how you came to that conclusion. Can you can you can you tell me well, that sort of thing where you're explicitly saying I'm here to understand what you're saying because I'm sure most people who have really sort of maybe out there opinions probably get the look of disgust or like how the fuck do you believe that whereas you're you're somebody who's now going I really want to understand how you came to that conclusion there's yeah. quite a lot of people who who think they come to like this or have a weird sort of belief they're almost proud to how they come come to that conclusion. You know, they yeah. can't, you know they, they've seen information that other people haven't seen, so they think they're in yeah. a like, secretive group of people who've figured it out. So they love to sort of share it. But um, that, that's what I got next, mate. And what about report, man? Did you have like... Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, report, basically just the idea that, you know, you kind of are trying to build a good connection with someone. You know, it's like you're not going to suddenly just strike up a conversation about gender politics and if you're on both different sides, you're right or left wing you know, it doesn't happen that quickly and someone's not going to be as accepting to you if you just jump straight into it. You have to kind of like warm it up. The way that like someone feels comfortable to talk about these things is if they're in a comfortable environment. And that's basically what rapport does. It's like, you know, oh, I'm I'm building this environment. I'm making you feel more comfortable. And like it gets into this later on, but basically like I am giving myself to the conversation and you should feel comfortable to do that too you know yeah. um and so like the building rapport is like really important because you're basically just like almost like buttering them up a bit you know to be like okay now like you can see that i'm here i want to listen to you mm-hmm. um and now you can like you know dive into the conversation that you want to talk about. i mean quite a lot of rapport i was going to say is based off showing your likeness and mm-hmm. your... so quite interestingly one of the the, the whole idea of reframing them as a conversational partner actually would help you build rapport because you're going to find yourself treating them differently than if yeah. they're in opposition but anyway a lot of reports based off sort of showing them it's a safe environment like you just said um showing that you're here to listen are they yeah quite, quite a lot of the sort of yes no a bit like we just did then yeah i know you're not doing it purposely but it's like that idea <laughs> that you're you're acknowledging that you've heard them like you're nodding yeah. your head um they sound like you know, that's, 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 that's the signals that people need to see to hear or to, to perceive that you're listening. Yeah. Um, I can't do it. I, I can't, I do it so much actually, almost too much. Sometimes I yeah. actually cut it out of the, of the uh, podcast. Cause I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, but yeah. I'm, I'm exactly the same. But I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't see, I wouldn't see it as a curse unless of course you've got somebody who's uh, attuned to it and they almost think you're manipulating them. But in reality, yeah. some people are just like that. So in fact, this actually brings up another point. There's one of these a bit later about this idea of uh, rethinking the opposite, or I was about to say opposition, your conversational partner's intent. So mm. that's it. So instead of assuming their intent is bad, so like they have like a, this belief that you could say is like, oh, this person doesn't believe coronavirus is real. Wow, they're really bad. They want to spread the disease. Instead of that, yeah. you've got to frame it as curiosity to be like, hang on a second, like people aren't necessarily, like don't actually desire bad things really. Like even the worst criminals genuinely believe yeah that they're good and yeah. they have this thing that they believe they're doing 
the world a favor or something. Even suicide bombers think they're doing the world a favor, you know? Yeah. It's, they're not inherently, well, it depends on what your morals are, but they, they aren't inherently bad. They just, they think they're doing the right thing, right? So yeah. it's a bit like what I just said then. So let's just say you doing this yes, yes thing to me, right? And I'm somebody who's like tried to read into report and thinks now that you're trying to manipulate me. I put bad intentions onto the fact that that could be your normal way of behaving and this is what people do to each other all the time they see something which they don't necessarily agree with or they know about and they just assume the worst like this person here is trying to yeah this person and the moment you start assuming the worst intentions you're going to put your guard up you're not going to want to share you're not going to want to listen you're going to get defensive yeah Um, and that's the thing so we make so many assumptions and like whether they're good or bad you know it's like you can't know until you actually talk to someone we talked about assumptions before in terms of like, you know, don't assume someone's going to be no or going to shut you down because you don't know, you know, not unless you try. Yeah. And so you've got to be willing to actually try to see because, yeah. you know, it's just, it's so much bullshit to like have certainty about something that is just so. Well, well, it's something that you, you have fuck all information about apart from your yeah, exactly. And then your like your um, inferences from the uh, assumptions you made, like, like, I think what's quite interesting here is the idea that what they talk about is so like obviously don't uh, try and avoid these intentions. Just try and think about it. Like, you just realize that you're making an assumption and that their intentions aren't obvious to you. And then, and then you talked about this reverse point that when if they assume you have bad intentions, so let's say they call you out, just saying, "Oh, you're just trying to manipulate me now." Then you've got to switch your conversation from them about your intentions to then trying to understand the reasoning. So, yeah. so. It, so I guess the way you could do it that way is be like, oh, what makes you think that? Or like, what makes, trying to get get them to reveal why they think your intentions are bad. Because then they will start realizing, oh, hang on a second, I've only seen them do this one thing and now I'm assuming they're doing something bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just amazing how like, from what I've read as well around conversations and communication, this is like a thing that comes up a lot. And it's always like, we always assume worse intentions from other people than ourselves. We always give ourselves so some slack. And we always give other people like the worst intentions. Like they're here to manipulate me. They're like, my boss is here to make money off me and not, it doesn't care about me. We always make these horrible assumptions that just sort of hold us back. Mm. Especially in conversation. Well, think about how many times like someone, you know, if you're at a club and a guy can't go and speak to a girl because he just assumes she's going to say no and shut him down. But you would never know that well, unless you try. You know? On the flip side, think about how many girls read into the intentions of a boy who immediately comes up to yeah. an app and just say, oh, he's trying to sleep with me. Yeah. Like, like they, people are very quick to jump to the intentions of somebody else. Um, and what, what even what even gives them that right to have that assumption when if, if it's like they don't get hit on that often or something? How can yeah. I guess it's media. You just see it in films and you think, all oh, right, this boy's hitting on the girl. That means they're interested. I think I think maybe maybe the principle underlying all this, to be honest, especially with this intention stuff, is just showing a bit of humility or the mindset of humility in a conversation. Like you do not know what this person thinks, and that yeah. is the whole point of impossible conversations. You your mission is to be a detective. You need to find out why this person thinks the things they do. You don't need to think about bad intentions that they have. You need to be like, right, fuck the intentions. They obviously have like this thought. They have this like thought process behind what they're saying. Let's hear out this thought process. And try and figure it out with accept the ambiguity in it. Exactly, exactly, accept the ambiguity, of course. Uh, yeah, he then goes on to uh, what, what's it called? Uh, shoot the messenger. Yeah, he talks about like yeah. when when you come into a conversation, you know, don't deliver it. You're not doing a lecture, okay? You're not coming in just stating how something is. 
because it makes you seem like you know it and you don't you know there's no you don't have certainty in a lot of what we talk about so you have to go in with like an open mindset you know and instead of delivering a message and being like oh well this is what it is because if if you go in like that they're going to put their guard up you know they're not really going to be interested and they'll be like oh well this person is just so stubborn like there's no point you know why, why, why should i try and talk to this person if they just believe beyond everything that what he's talking about is right what do you, what do you call it sorry you call it uh, delivering a message right yeah it's essentially essentially a judgment isn't it you make a judgment you make a you say something as if you pass judgment or something right is that yeah so like okay so you sent a message you'd be like this is how it should be okay is that is that like I, i'm just trying to think of an exact phrase that somebody would use which is like you know um is in passing a message if you get what i mean so instead of you're just telling them somebody how it is it's almost like a it'd be like it'd be like oh well you know uh i guess it would be like oh all tories are, are nazis you know okay i get you it's like it's 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 a very like you're delivering it as if it's a truth when okay. we all know that not every tory is a nazi but when you deliver it like that it just shows where you stand on something and that you're not willing to budge Interesting. yeah so you're saying shuts down conversations is that what it yeah well it just it doesn't it doesn't give room for someone to be like oh are you sure about that like are you sure that every nazi is is uh, every tory is a nazi because that's not the case but it's like someone doesn't really want to get into a conversation if they have to be like that i've actually um i've just found my notes on this as well okay so this is interesting yeah i get what you mean so it, it talks about distinguishing between delivering a message and authentic so he talks about delivering a message feels like teaching so whereas a conversation has a give and take, so it'd be less like more folks for a thousand. Okay. So this is interesting. So he talks about this idea of deliver, delivering messages. You would deliver more messages if you're um if you don't presume to understand the reasoning. So mm. I think what he means is like let's just say you had like this weird belief, and then I I deliver a message saying like oh you believe this because I start lecturing on you on the fact you believe that right. So you just say I'm. Uh, I'm against uh, lockdowns because I think it's all a conspiracy. And then I come in with a lecture of like, oh, this many people are dying a, 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 um, a week. This is how many cases are rising, right? I think this is what he means by the delivering the message, right? I'm now delivering a message to you that you're wrong. <laughs> mm. like, yeah. You basically said something to me and then I'm trying to lecture you on why you're wrong. And this is like one of the things that we all do, which is bad. It's like we always try and impose our opinion back at somebody and try and disprove them before we even heard them out. They've just said a statement. You've gone in with a, I'm going to lecture you because you're wrong. And they've then gone, fuck you. Like, don't tell me that. Like, I've obviously, I've obviously made my own opinion up on this. I don't fucking, I already seen this data. So don't just come and throw that in my face. Um, yeah. And it talks about this, like when you enter messenger mode, it's, it shows you're not listening. Whereas um, the learning mode, the curiosity mode is more centered on questions. So the moment you start yes. feeling like you're not asking questions, you're probably in the delivering message mode which is yeah. which is not good <laughs> i think yeah. it's, it's this idea like nobody likes to be lectured because uh, you're capping it you're putting a full stop on it as if there's nothing else to be talked about you know whereas the questioning kind of leaves it open and leaves someone to be able to like actually explain something i guess i guess you're, um, not, you're not even just capping it though are you really you're, you're kind yeah of just... and you can't meet a message with a message yeah well, no. Well, for me, I think I think the, the the truth here is when you meet a message with a message, that's an argument because you are yeah, meeting. Exactly. You're, you're just consistently not looking at the like the, but you're 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 missing the um the underlying reasoning behind it. You're just both butting horns. So, oh, that's really interesting. Mm. What was it called? It was um, 
Uh, what was it? In an argument, you're trading conclusions. That was it. It was in a different book. Difficult conversations. That's it. He says arguments yeah. are based on trading conclusions rather than trading stories. That's um, good. Like which that. I like that. Yeah, you like that? I liked it a lot. I thought it makes a lot of sense. And it's similar to this. When you're trading your conclusions and like your end sort of, yeah, your end judgment on something, you are more likely to find friction because you, you don't have that leeway of understanding how that conclusion was reached. And it's the same yeah. with this. The moment you shut them down and you start delivering messages, i.e. conclusions, you, you don't understand the underlying stories behind their conclusions. So you can't actually build anything off that conversation because you're too busy just going, no, I'm right. You're right. No, I'm right. Yeah. That yeah, kind yeah. Of thing. Um, yeah that, that, that's a really interesting point. That is a really interesting point. And that makes it, it ties into that as well, which is interesting. I didn't think about that. Um, I've got a few things more here from like the fundamentals because obviously the book yeah. fundamentals and it gets the beginners. So before we quickly move on to that, I've got a few ones to mention. I, you might've had these ones as well. So I like this one a lot. And this one's always take responsibility for miscommunication. Mm, so, yeah. So instead of saying, oh, you, why, you're not explaining it correctly. Or like, uh, what's another one? Like, oh, that's stupid. No, that's, that's stupid. You know what I mean? You basically place the blame. Like, oh, I can't understand you or something. Like, it's your fault, basically, for your communication issues. When you start pinning the blame on the fact is them, why you can't understand, they're going to feel a bit like, you know, basically insulted, right? So yeah. his point is that you should always say like, I'm not sure I really understand what you're trying to, what you're saying. Can you explain that to me? I'm sorry, I'm being stupid. That sort of thing. Yeah. You put you put the stupidity onto yourself. Like I think, oh, I'm being stupid here, but I can't quite understand you. Like, what are you saying? And that way, they are more likely to continue their train of thought than, oh, you're not explaining it very well. To me, it's, that's quite an obvious one, um, but it's also really. Well, I powerful. think you, the, you're essentially basically getting rid of the ego from the conversation. When you go in, get rid of your ego, and that's what creates the kind of curiosity vibe. And so instead of like, it doesn't matter whose miscommunication it is, if you're trying to get somewhere and you've got a hurdle, just accept it. You don't know whether they're going to accept it or just, you know, so just be like, oh, yeah, no, sorry, I don't I don't understand. Please just, you know, can you explain this to me? Um, there's no point in like blaming someone for it. Of course, but it's one of those subtle ones that you kind of like, let's just say you're the you can't understand them. You're getting frustrated. It's very easy to yeah. lash out and blame them. That, that's kind of the, the point behind it. And it's, they almost, basically another thing it does, right? Is it models humility? It models, mm. it's like, it talk, we'll talk about this later, about modeling in terms of like, you you behave a way that you want them to behave towards you. So by admitting that you have like, that you're being stupid and that you can't quite understand it, they are more likely to behave like that later because yeah. they've seen that it's acceptable in this in this social environment to like, you know, degrade yourself a little bit and yeah. not feel hurt by degrading yourself because it's a safe environment to degrade yourself. If you can show you're, you can you're showing that you can be vulnerable. Yeah. If you can happily show to somebody that you're willing to like take the piss out of yourself, not take yourself too seriously, they're gonna chill out with you. That's why humor is so effective. That's another topic anyway. Um well what's this other one? I've got another few here. So another one is do not parallel talk. You remember that one? So that's like basically um, what we talked about earlier. So it's like somebody tells a story okay, about their time they went to Cornwall. And then the next the next thing I say is my time in Cornwall. And it becomes okay. like a progressive, it becomes like a progressive more like... Um, competition. Competition of who's got the best story. Yeah. Oh, I just really... Like, I don't know. Yeah, that's basically... My manager is exactly like that. Like, you'll tell a story and then he'll come in to try and tell a better story. And it's just the most I, infuriating I, thing. I hope he's not listening to the podcast. <laughs> Mate, I don't care if he is. Yeah. He's he's one fan I don't want. Fair enough. No, I know. I, I mean, we all know these types of people, mate. We all know these types of people. 
Um, and then there's two more points I've got here before I can move on. So I got the avoiding callouts. So never ever, as a good rule, call somebody out for their opinion. Um, so never sort of, especially the right and wrong, like saying that's the right thing to believe. What do you mean like, by calling out? Calling out. So like somebody says a belief and like that's just like, that's something, that's just a nasty thing to believe or like calling somebody out for their belief by yeah. judging it basically. It's like a, it's like a judgment, but it can be even an indirect judgment. Mm. One that's sort of like, okay. almost, it's like a side remark. Uh, anything that, so basically back to the modeling thing as well. Anything where you pass judgment means it's okay now in the social environment for judgments to be passed or they feel like they're being judged. They're going to be on the defensive. So you should never like, let's just say they say something that's a bit offensive. You should never go like, oh, well, actually, wait, do you know what? I'm, I'm kind of eating my words as I say this. His point was, if you, even if you're offended, it's like, hold it in. But I guess there is an argument to be had if they're like trying to dominate you or somebody was trying to be overly offensive to you. Do you take it? I don't know. No, I don't I think you should. Like reasoning here. Right in the corner. Wait, so he okay. said that... Oh, that's should... it. So he's saying like, rather than calling out somebody's offensive, being like, that's really offensive, try to make sense of what they're saying and appreciate their authenticity, even if it's rough. So mm. maybe it's something they say something really offensive, like potentially even racist, right? Obviously, there's this massive bandwagon now towards like, if you don't call it out, you're basically a racist, which is just stupid uh, dichotomy, logic, stupid, stupid. Anyway, yeah. um, basically trying to understand them, but then people people have a low tolerance for understanding. So like, especially if they're deemed as racist, um. That's interesting. So don't call it. I guess out. it's. I try and I make guess sense it's like. I appreciate them for being authentic. You know, to the point you were saying, like, even if it's rough, appreciate them for telling what they think and don't. So basically, what it is, is if they say something really sort of like maybe socially unacceptable, you don't really call it out for the, that exact moment. You kind of go, hang on a second, that's a bit weird that they believe that. Then you try and sort of go yeah. into that reasoning rather than just, you know, being straight into the, wow, you're a bad person type of thing. I yeah, think. I think that's the approach because realistically, people double down when you end up like, "Oh, you're wrong," yeah, you know, "Oh, that's a bad view to have." And if someone generally does have a bad view like that, like they make some racist comment or something like that, you just suddenly blurting it at them and being like, "Well, you're wrong," is not going to suddenly make them change their mind. You know, it's really not. In fact, they're probably just going to be like, "Oh, well," you know, and they justify it. The best way is kind of, I guess, to accept that that's what they've said and then you kind of question on and be like oh well so why do you think that um oh okay and then you kind of go into it and be like well what's your evidence behind that that yeah. kind of so approach it's kind of like that yeah it's like not if they say something really sort of like bad well it, it does say here if there's severe infractions like somebody's really bad then obviously then well yeah then yeah. but like for the majority where it might be like a like um like a, a small comment here or there, which you're thinking, oh, hang on a second, should you be allowed to say that? Instead of like calling them out, it's more like, right, let's try and figure out why this person believes what they just said. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's what I got made for the for the fundamentals. I think uh, there was a big point that he was talking about in terms of like, you know, um, for someone to really change their opinion on something, they have to kind of internalize it. You know, they have to listen, they have to internalize it. They kind of like you're basically providing them a different mental model, and for the they've now have the theory, but realistically they have to go out and implement that. You kind of like put it in an experience and see if it works or not. Do you know what I mean? So basically, it's like you can talk to someone about like changing their opinion, but you can't force them to change their opinion right then and there. Mm. There's they have like a threshold. They have a point at which you know if you go beyond, then it kind of seems like you're badgering them. You've got to like instill the doubt. 
give them this information and then let them go off and kind of change their mind on their own terms. You know, sure. you can't force someone to change their terms. And that's one of the points he was kind of talking about in terms of like, like know when the conversation has kind of ended, you know, that you can walk away kind of knowing that, okay, well, I've given him all of my points. Hopefully he takes that on board, he internalizes that, and then he goes off. I remember uh, I was watching like a little video about, oh, this is going to annoy me, Daryl Davis, I think it is. Uh, he's he was like um i think it was like a black journalist and he uh organized to meet one of these kkk leaders and he did it without them knowing that he was black and um they they like went they organized his secretary like organized it and this guy turned up and he had like a couple of like kind of bodyguards in a way and they were in some like motel and he was like surprised at first that you know this guy was black and that they were going to have some like conversation and then there was kind of this, like, there was this weird noise halfway through the conversation and everyone like looked at each other and they were both kind of like scared and was like kind of eyeing each other up. And it turned out like some like ice had melted in the fridge or something. And then they all burst out laughing, like all of them laughed together. And that doesn't mean that they were friends, but then he was like, you know what? Then I actually called him up like a, a couple of weeks later. And then I called him up a couple of weeks later after that. And every time, like then I could go around to his house. He didn't have these bodyguards. And then we were friends. And then eventually he ended up like persuading this guy to leave the KKK. And the whole reason I'm talking about this is the point that like, you know, things don't happen overnight. It, you don't, people don't change their opinions like, like that. They have to kind of like internalize it and experience everything else in contrast with that. They have to live through the kind of information that you've given them. True. I would say, I would say as well, people's opinions are built up of multiple bits of evidence, right? So it's like, it's not like one-off conversation with you. Don't be so yeah. really egotistical to think a one-off conversation with you, the all-knowing person who's just told them all the reasons why they're wrong is going to convince their mind when they built up steady evidence in their head of why their belief is real, you know? Precisely. It's not, yeah. So I think you just stepped on what my next point was going to be for this this entire book. And I would say this is probably the key principle behind all of it for this, like, this idea of like having an impossible conversation and um, changing people's minds. It's this idea that you, the whole goal here is not actually to change their mind. Like, obviously, that's, that's kind of like the end indirect goal. But the yeah. direct goal that you're doing here is instilling doubt. Yeah. So this precisely. idea of like, you basically have to make them question their beliefs so i think i think the principle also is behind it it's like nobody really changes your beliefs you change them yourself mm. you i mean nobody can force yeah. you to change what you believe you change it by sort of self-awareness questioning yourself in your own time and rethinking why you believe what you believe right in my head that's how yeah. i would personally go through my belief system it would be like hang on a second is this is this correct right now like you know what i mean you kind of roughly figure out yourself like is this person lying to me and you just you build up evidence whatever but this the whole idea of this is like you you can't convince them directly but you can get them to start convincing themselves by making them realize what they know yeah it isn't as real or as true as they think so this whole idea of getting them to doubt themselves um and that's that's what the whole book is basically they're just like different ways of approaching, you know, this way of like instilling doubt, you know, they're just modeling goals, treating your partner in a certain way. It's all to get to like this kind of optimum point at which you can give them this piece of information that instills this doubt and then they go off and they have to like process that, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I think it was in like, was it flow? He talks about, you know, you come across a mental model 
and then you put that in place and then that works for you and then that works for a certain amount of time and then it becomes a belief and then if that works for a good amount of time and nothing challenges that then it becomes a credulous belief and it becomes too solidified but the way that we should think about things is kind of like having these loose mental models if we come across something that's better we can slot that in and get rid of the last one mm-hmm. and this is basically being able to crack away at that solidified belief provide them with a piece of information and then let them go off and try these different mental models because they may just not have come across it yet that's why it's so interesting in terms of like people being conditioned having completely different pasts because maybe they never came up it uh, came across the answer that we have yeah. you know they've never read this point in a book and then you give that to them and that's the first time they have that well they never um, seen this piece of information they've never yeah, yeah. it's all, it's usually to do with that mate i think um what's i think he talks building upon that sort of idea of like not um not actually having the information uh he he brings up this idea of the unread library effect and this idea that um did you ever get get this point i I can't remember it so so basically he he makes this idea that we think we possess the information in the books because we have access to them Mm. um or we think we possess the knowledge because somebody's summarized the finding in a book um, and we've never read the book or studied studied the topic in depth, right? We've never like you know what I mean. We've never like yeah, yeah, delved yeah. into the library, but we know we have access to a library, or we know we've had we've skimmed the surface almost, right? We've skimmed the surface of this library of books, and he calls this the unread library effect, which is that this idea that most of our knowledge is basically borrowed by people who distill it. So somebody like yeah. media yeah. distill an event down to like the key, like the, the theory of evolution to a degree is distilled. Um, to the to the average person, whereas somebody who actually goes in and studies it realizes it's a bit more nuanced, right? It's that type of thing of like yeah, yeah. surface level knowledge vs deep knowledge. And basically, yeah. his point is that we because we all have access to all this information, we now think that whenever we've skim read something, because we're like this this race that basically just thinks, oh wow, I've got the main logist of it, I now know it. We then walk around with confidence that our opinion is like great from reading that surface without actually understanding the details behind it. Um, mm. So he calls this the unread library effect, and basically what this, okay. what, what the concept, what, what the concept actually means is, people are very confident, right? This back to Dunning Kruger, not knowing much, like the less you know, the more confident you are. So people are very confident yeah. until you probe, and this is the whole reason why the doubt model works is because most yeah. of people's knowledge is borrowed and not really well thought through. So this is why, yeah, when you start questioning them, going like, hang on a second, like, oh, you said that, why, why do you think that? And then they'll be like, they'll quote something maybe from a newspaper. And then yeah. you could ask them a question, something like, oh, well, what about this? So back to like the statistics thing that we talked about recently, like, oh, yeah, like, so this, there's a 70% chance of you dying. And I'd be like, okay, so, well, uh, how many people were in that test? Or how many, so if it was like a clinical trial, you'd be like, how many people is this tested on? Yeah. And then they won't know the answer. But like, is that type of reasoning when you actually get down to the truth, when you boil down to like the details and then they, sh- they realize, fuck, like, I actually don't know the details. Yeah. I've just taken, oh, this journalist said it. But then, and then in fact, this is a point later on in the book where he says, you now have to then probe the the. It's, oh, I can't what he calls it. He calls it something else. But this idea that they use experts to justify their knowledge. But then you have to probe how they know the experts worth listening to, etc. But anyway, yeah. Uh, continue on. It's um, it's a red library effect. It's so interesting because especially with Google as well, because everything's a Google away, right? You could ask somebody anything. They think if they Google it, they then see it, and they're like, oh wow, I now know the answer. But Google's algorithm even t- changes depending on the person searching. Yeah, exactly. So it's like you only gonna end up seeing what you want to see anyway. Um, no, that is a good. It, that is a good point. It do, you do have the illusion, like, oh, I've read this book, so I know what you know evolutionary psychology is about. But it's like, mm-hmm. no, mate, you read a book. 
you know, yeah. and it you doesn't know everything about many. it. Yes, and it, exactly. Uh, ideally, you should be reading the opposite, like the the arguments against it as well, like the, the yeah. flaws, the flaws in the theory. Um, this reminds me as well. So he talks about here, but this is another bit of modeling. So you should admit, right, when somebody when somebody says they're like an expert on something or they start talking about something, you should be like, oh, oh, that's really interesting. I don't really know much about this subject. And I go, and then you start questioning. So like you mm. admit and you model or you show them that you're you're open to saying that, oh, I don't know much. And then you basically get them to explain to you in as much detail as possible why they believe what they believe. And that's when you're going to find like the holes. And it's all, it's, it's all good when you find these holes. So, um, because obviously then you can start being like, oh, well, now you don't know because you don't know this. But it's never about that. You've always got to just be inquisitive, curious, and like almost help them through their reasoning. You yeah. always got to be there. It's almost like being like a therapist to a degree, um, sort of helping them through, figuring out what they know and what they don't know. Well, yeah, pretty much. It's like you're kind of, you want them to use up all their excuses so that then they realize, okay, wait a minute. Yeah, I don't know what, what the subject is about. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of dive in and be like, oh, well, you know, there's this point or there's this point. And you're kind of giving them information once you've got past their barrier. And that's what the modeling does, really. It's like modeling like provides this kind of, like we were talking about, this comfortable um, uh, environment in which someone feels, uh, you know, well, like they, they can say whatever, you know. And if you, if you do certain behaviors that are like vulnerable or like, you know, you accept that you don't know something, then it's easy for them to be like, oh, actually, you know, I, I feel comfortable to say that I don't know this either. You know, yeah. and you're creating that environment yeah no but it's um it is it is all about the, the modeling thing is i think is really interesting i think yeah. i think it makes a lot of sense to like it's a bit like the depreciative sort of humor like basically taking the piss out of yourself people feel comfortable because you're modeling that you don't take yourself too seriously yeah because basically the way i see it is when you're depreciative of yourself is like you don't judge yourself too harshly Therefore, you almost imply that you're not going to judge them too harshly, people or the people mm. around you. So you basically say this, you basically imply to them this is a safe environment, is a judgment-free environment by being humorous. That, yeah, it? exactly. Yeah, no, I wonder if this ties into, like, I think we were talking about this on our Rome podcast last time, um, like mimetic behavior. Yeah. It's like you want someone to do something first so that you kind of have an excuse of doing it, so that you kind of either feel comfortable or you have excuse or... You're looking. You're looking for cues for how to behave, and one of the one of the best cues is people make you feel comfortable by showing that they don't judge themselves, so they're not going to judge you. Yeah. Is the people that okay? Right. I'll, I'll give you an example. Somebody who sits there who's really uptight and he doesn't really talk and is shy. They're very hard to get on with, and they put everybody on edge because they don't show yeah. emotion. They don't. They, they're not being very clear with their signals that it's a safe environment. If anything, they look unsafe, so you feel unsafe. Whereas somebody yeah. who's sort of relatively charismatic sort of takes the piss out of themselves, talks a lot ask lots of questions, you feel comfortable around them because they're literally giving you signals that you should be comfortable around me because I'm comfortable yeah, yeah, around yeah. you. Yeah. So that's the level of mimetics or behavior. It's like you, you, it's like feelings are infectious. Like people are infectious. The, the, the feelings people give you, like you know somebody who's charismatic, somebody who's not just by the feelings they make you feel when you're around them. And that is to do with those sort of cues. Yeah. So you just need to make, uh, take the initiative really. Kind of, I think so. I think so. And like, as soon as you start, it starts like it's like a domino effect. You should, yeah, basically, you should assume that other people won't take the initiative. So it's similar to this. You should assume that other people won't see you as the conversational partner. So you need to be yeah. the one who takes initiative because at the end of the day, you can only control what you do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, that was, that's, that's um, the modeling thing's really fucking, 
fucking interesting. It's, it's, I think it's so important just for like communicating with anyone, kind of, mm-hmm. you know. On this, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the next point, mate. I think so. That sort of sums that up. Then I don't I don't really want to go too deep on this because comp- we're already pretty pretty like far into this conversation already, and I don't really don't really want to do this for an hour and a half because. Yeah. Um, I I'm going to try and avoid the moral stuff. Going too deep into the moral stuff, I think we could probably mm-hmm. talk, maybe we could talk, touch over this moral stuff when we do like uh, coddling with American minds, maybe I don't know, or like did you we do some Jonathan hate stuff? But right yeah. now I kind of want to. I don't really want to get deep into like denouncing extremists and stuff like that. I think that's do you cool. um do you have anything on epistemology? Yeah, so epistemology got a bit further down, but I guess we can. I think we should probably touch on it now before we move on because. That's basically, mm. it's basically the same point of the doubt. So it's this whole idea that you should put the focus of your conversation on the epistemology of the other person. Uh, what is epistemology? Just for people that don't know. So my understanding of epistemology is basically, uh, so epistemology isn't it the study of knowledge and the study of how somebody knows something. Yeah. So basically if you're focusing on the epistemology, of else, you're basically studying or you're trying to focus on their reasoning process. So what logic flow are they following? So like, this means this means this means this. So when they give you a conclusion or give you a belief, the whole point of focusing on epistemology is being like, okay, you believe that. So how, how, how have you come to believe that? And then they explain to you that, oh, wow, I believe it. I believe this because this bit of data said this, or this person said this to me. And then you probe them further and you say, oh, that person said that to you. They must be really reliable or you know, something like that. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, but he's followed by him. And they start giving you the reasoning behind why they're so sure of their belief. And the whole yeah. point is, as you get them to go further down their chain, they're probably going to realize they might have chinks in the armor. You know, exactly. There's the, it's not foolproof or bulletproof, as you will. And then this is where this is where it's actually really interesting. It's, it's now better not to go on the attack. So most people will probably think, use the, these tools, right? You could use these tools technically to get somebody's reasoning and then destroy their reasoning and feel all powerful because you'd be like, ha-ha, your reasoning's shit. Uh, yeah. you know? Or you could be the type of person who basically sort of gives them a bit of face-saving. So they talk about this later called Golden Bridges. So let's say that you've, you've probed their reasoning and they've started, you can see it in them. They started to realize, oh shit, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah. And you could easily just pile in or you could sort of offer them, oh, like you could either change subject maybe because you probably, if they're already giving you those sort of faces, you know, you've already done your job. They're now going, actually, hang on a second. I don't really know this. Or you could probe further and just be like, oh, okay, that's really interesting. Have you ever, and then this is where you, you talk about what you were saying, where you give them a new mental model. You could just be like, oh, but have you thought about it this way? Or have you, have you thought about this alternative way of, you know, viewing it? Yeah. And you want to do that. Yeah, you shouldn't blame someone for not knowing something, especially when they come to the realization that they don't know it. You know, there's no point in like hammering it home. Like, because we were the same up until that point. It's like before we had this kind of opinion on something, we had a different one. And it's very easy, like you were just saying, a golden bridge. It's it's very easy to be like, oh, like I'm the same. Like before I thought this, I used to believe in this ridiculous thing. So you're kind of like, Creating. I wouldn't label it as ridiculous. <laughs> but, no, yeah. no, 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 not not as in their point, but as in like I used to think this completely ludicrous thing before, uh, and then I found. Okay, uh, I so you're kind of like taking the piss out of yourself, making you seem more approachable, and lessening the importance of them not knowing something. You know? Yeah, but, but that's also report building as well, isn't it? It's like showing that you're like, and you're not. You're not. This is the, such an interesting thing. You're just basically showing them that there's no judgment coming from you, that you really understand them, and you understand how they're feeling right now. And it's yeah. almost like mind reading. When somebody feels like their mind's being read, they actually feel comfortable because they're like, this person yeah. really gets me. 
Um, exactly. I think another another point I had actually was a lot of the time when we have these kind of impossible conversations, there's normally like a duality. There's like, you know, an opposition, like two oppositions. And so, you know, you could be right wing and you could be left wing, you know, and so you 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 think because you're talking about this subject of politics that you have to be on the opposite side. But he brings up a good point in terms of like acknowledging extremists. So if you look at this on like a spectrum and let's say they're on like the far left and you're in like the middle, then by emphasizing that you have extremists on your side, on the right side, it makes you seem closer together. Okay. Cause you're like expanding the spectrum, which makes it seem like you're closer together. And when you're closer together, someone's uh, more yeah. able to accept you and actually talk about certain things. Cause you could be like, yeah, I know there's people on the far right. that are actually crazy, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially if they're on the side that you're on. Right. Yeah. And it's denouncing yeah. like it's denouncing people who take your points too far and it's showing that you are on the middle ground, which most people are. Exactly. And you're also like, you know, um, you're, you emphasize the kind of things that you have in common. You know, that's a really good point. Yeah, and you're emphasizing what's too far as well, almost. You're emphasizing yeah. that you take it too far and that. Because basically most people in the middle would assume the people on the opposite side who are far right or far left are taking things too far, right? So yeah. but you're almost mind reading again. You're, you're telling them what they already believe, like, oh, these people take it too far. You yeah. know, this is where but I... But it's very started. easy to be, like, put into, like, an umbrella label. Like, oh, you're you're the right. You know, you're on the right. I mean, and it's like, well, yeah, but like there are people on my right that are extreme, but not everyone's like that. I don't want to get into it, but there's um there's no universal, oh, what's it called, scale-free political sort of perspective. So, for example, I think somebody said something along the lines of like, as a family, you're socialist at, at the state yeah, level. it depends on the context. Like, it depends on the context. Like, you can't just say one person's completely left-wing through and yeah. throughout. Yeah, you know, yeah. Or somebody's completely right-wing. So this is the sort of ludicrousy of like these fucking labels that like don't actually sum up somebody as a human being. They just sum up their like sort of that scale view. So like at the, at the sort of, um, at the, what do you call it? The countrywide level, they're left, but like, you know, in the individual level, they, they tend not mm-hmm. to be. Well, he does talk about the, uh, the label effect. Like, you know, instead of just labeling someone as something that has already so many connotations to it, be like on a scale of one to 10, how yeah. much but do would, you would, think you are like would jump onto that later because that's some high level tactics yeah. that shit yeah. good. right I got my one last point before we can actually move on to uh, actually wait yeah no that is in a second actually so yeah one of the last things I got I don't know if you got onto this one as well so like the def- definition of words we kind of talked about this earlier I think yeah. so like a lot of disagreements can be about disagreement of words so like the point is so he uses this as an example in a book so someone might say for instance I hate the government when they actually mean like they hate intrusive government or it could be corruption, it could be bureaucracy, it could be concentrated political authority, you know, it could yeah. be regulations um, that don't sort of believe in their values. But they use the umbrella term, like you just said, this umbrella term to incorporate those concepts as government, right? And then government mm. to you means, uh, for example, in the UK, it could be government, uh, they provide to the NHS, they provide healthcare, they provide welfare, you know. That, so you basically get this whole argument about the government because one person sees it as like a really positive force and one person just hates the idea of corruption, okay? But they're not actually arguing about the government. This guy's arguing about corruption and this guy's arguing about the fact that the government is actually like a necessary evil kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And the whole point here is one of the best things you can do up front is when somebody goes says something like, I fucking hate this thing or I hate the government, you just go, oh, what do you mean by the government? You yeah, know, and then, and, then, and then what they would tend to do then 
is they like literally as you just said they refine it this is what happens to most people they will say something very broad okay and then if you you can either go what do you mean by that or the best one you can even do is just mirror them so you repeat the same thing they just said so i hate mm. the government right and you just go the government question mark like, you know the, the, the yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then they realize you haven't understood them okay so, so they then have they have to. to repeat it in a more specific way and yeah. then what you'll find is the more you do that the more they would get down to the actual crux of what's the problem and it's like yeah. it's amazing if you think about it, how how vague in general we we are because we can't find the words because we're lazy and we just say like a generic thing and people yeah. just they don't understand a word you're fucking saying but they just nod on and go yeah all right well, the words can mean so many different things depending on the context. Like we've mm-hmm. talked about this in terms of like, oh, chemicals, like how you define chemicals in physics or mm-hmm. biology or chemistry or like all these different kind of contexts. And you get it in loads of nonfiction books. At the very beginning, they'll be like, I'm going to discuss this word in this kind of context. And whenever I say government, it means this, you know, so it's more clear. You have clarity. That's what you're trying to do in these kind of conversations, create clarity so someone can actually follow your train of thought. Mm-hmm. No, no, but it's, it's really, by the way, this clarity, whole, this whole idea of clarity, sorry, and like vagueness is really interesting because I think we talked about this back on our uh, communication, like Rome recap thing. Mm-hmm. This idea, I, I thought about this quite a lot recently. When you ask a vague question, you will get a vague response. And this isn't even yeah. like, um, this isn't even a, uh, Oh, what's the word? Like, you know how we talked about this idea of having like a regurgitated response, like the same response you say to everything. So when somebody says to how are you, I'm good, you. You know, that's yeah, like yeah, regurgitated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not even just that. I mean, like, if you say to somebody, how was your holiday? It's so vague. They have to open up their brain to such a wide variety of experiences to incorporate yeah. that memory, right? Whereas if you went to went to them, how was the, the night you went for to the restaurant on your holiday? It's way yeah. more specific they can definitely yeah. go in and tap up those memories and they yeah. will find something way more specific to tell you than if you say to them how was your holiday as a broad thing and yeah. this is kind of what i mean by like this we kind of walk around with these really vague conversations and we never really dial down to the specifics i found this to be true for myself i get really annoyed when somebody asks me a really vague vague um question right and i really struggle to find an answer because my brain is really struggling struggling to find like a specific memory or something to grab hold of in your past to then tell somebody about uh, and then what happens is they give you the cheek of just saying oh well you're boring or like you're like oh it sounds like you didn't do much I'm like well okay maybe fucking ask a different question then so for my my point would be somebody asks you uh how was your day fucking way too broad what happened today slightly better yeah. Because then you yeah. go back through and think what actually happened today, which was notable. Yeah, yeah. Or then you say something even better, like what was the best part of your day? That is, then you can think back and, and to there, there might not have even been a good part. Like maybe what stood out in your day, anything, anything yeah. gives your brain more criteria to search in my yeah. head is a better question than yeah. just a vague. How have you been? Fucking bullshit. What did you do last <laughs> week? Much better. Um, what did you do this morning? Better. Do you think it's because how are you is limiting because you only have a certain amount of emotions to no. to talk about. I don't think it's Whereas that. I th- well, actually, do you know what? Maybe fine. Maybe it is. I would say more, how are you? Know, like, I'm, I'm thinking out loud, but I'll tell you what I have to say. My favorite people are the people when you go, how are you? And I remember this one guy I met and I think it was, one, I think it was my driving instructor when I was learning. Okay. Like, um, well, I was, yeah, I was learning to drive, right? He went, I'm fucking brilliant. How are you? Every time. 
And I remember yeah. it. <laughs> I remember it because it was so weird. But at the same time, he achieved what he wanted to do and he actually uplifted me every day. So I'd be like, every time yeah, I see yeah. him, how are you? And he'd be like, I'm fucking great. I'd be like, sick. <laughs> like, That's cool. Because we're so, like, but this is, but I, we're off a tangent. I'm going to get back. But anyway, this is back to the point where you said the other day, it's like the novelty thing. Like, how can you break somebody's pattern? Their pattern's, how are you? I'm good. How are you? So, like, how are you? I'm fucking brilliant. Like, yeah. <laughs> although you probably might be like autistic or something like that, but you, 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 you know what I mean? It's it's hard to portray. Like, I don't know. I think people almost do it because they don't want to stand out. I would say that's yeah. the reason. They don't want to say, oh, I had a really great day because basically you almost feel like if they haven't had a good day, then you're boasting. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to be like, oh, it's all right. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> downplays crazy, their yeah. life. Everybody downplays their life because nobody wants, especially English people, because nobody oh, wants to God. seem like they're boasting. So everybody's yeah. like, how are you? How have you been doing? Oh, I've been doing okay, just working. What about you? Yeah, just work. What do you do for work? For fuck's sake. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's ridiculous is just even a tiny bit of specificity makes such a difference. Yeah, true. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm venting, but at the same time, I'm so English. When like when I meet people, I'll be do exactly the same thing. I'm just um, oh, man, I, do, I do it all the fucking time. Yeah. So like it may sound like I'm like if people know people who know me are probably thinking, or if they listen to this, are probably thinking he never fucking does that anyway. No, you're right, I don't, <laughs> but I want to. <laughs> I feel like Jack is quite specific. Yeah, Jack's good. Jack's very good. Jack's good with that kind of thing. Yeah, he is. Yeah, no, for sure. Um. There's a few people, like, but they're the ones who like you sort of make a bigger impression on you to a degree. Yeah. So you feel like you've had a better conversation almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, rant over. I'm going on to the next bit. So he talked about like, a few little bit of tips on language. Mm-hmm. Like, I like these ones. So he says, use collaborative language. So instead of um, you, um, your, say, we. Yes. Like, yeah. We, we make it in court. Yeah, collaborative collaborative language. And then he says, use also neutral. So instead of saying, oh, so you believe or your belief is this to that belief and one's belief. I think one's belief is a bit weird. I don't really think it really works. Oh, one's belief is this. No, that belief I think is quite good though. So like you could be like, oh, that belief is slightly weird. So I think it's like then personalized. Um, Yeah. So those are the two that stood out to me. And there's one more, which was instead of saying, I disagree, which is immediately like, you're wrong. You know what I mean? I disagree with you. But I did it two seconds ago, and you said something like, "Oh, is it this?" Like, no. I felt really, really hurt. I wanted to shut the whole conversation down. Did you? <laughs> but as I, I should have said this, right? I'm skeptical. So he says that is because then it signals that you might be open to discuss it. Yeah. Which is what I probably should have said, but I, I, I'm a bit, a bit harsh on you, mate. I'm sorry. I apologize. You are. You are. I'll, I'll forgive you, mate. It's fine. No worries, mate. Thank you. I just won't ever, you know, I don't feel comfortable to ever say my opinion now. <laughs> Shut you down on the book while we're discussing the book, which is <laughs> it's not a comfortable environment. I'm talking. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, fuck's sake. Right. Okay. Now, <laughs> so that was all the stuff I had in language is about you, but then long pause. Okay. That's, that was a good, interesting one as well. The idea that if they pause, don't fill in the silence because that usually means yeah. they're reflecting. So if anything, he, he was arguing that a pause is a, is a sign of conversational success, like you're making them think, which is the whole point of this. Yeah, you don't always have to be talking. Yeah, no, not at all. And then, okay, after that, I'm just kind of just going through my notes in like a systematic manner yeah. because that's, that's the way I sort of got them. So this is the one that I quite liked, and I know you like this one a lot as well. So it was the scales to test knowledge. Yeah. So I quite like this one because I, I, I don't even think it, 
one to ten works. So it's like on a scale of one to ten, how confident are you that this is the case? Um, because it lets them put it in perspective. So it lets yeah. them think like, how sure am I this is true? Like it's basically a way of saying, would you bet on this belief? Like if, yeah. if you had fifty quid, would you bet on it? Um, but I really like it because it, it gives you also leeway, doesn't it? Because I think it was a way of like tracking your success. So you could be like at the beginning of the conversation, like, oh, well, I was scared of one to ten. How much do you believe that coronavirus is um, like like really bad? You know, somebody yeah. gives you an eight, and then you have this whole conversation. You're probing their epistemology at the end, just just like, and then at the end you'd be like, oh, just just so I know, like, what's what's how confident are you now? You know. Although to yeah. me, I wouldn't want to do that because I feel like it's almost like yeah. This is, I remember us talking about this when we read it. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit I, a bit of a strange thing to um to like bring up. Like I, I personally, in my own language, would never really say on a scale of one to ten, how much of a twat are you? You know, I would say something on the lines of me. Actually, it depends how combative you're feeling. I would say something on the lines of, would you put money on that? <laughs> yeah. Like, would you be willing? bet me 50 quid that that's true i actually that is quite combative but at the same time i feel like that's more colloquial than a one to ten it's like oh i'll bet you 10 quid well i think all these points that we talk about and i remember us talking about this um i remember us talking about this after we read the book it was like all of these points are step-by-step kind of guides but you kind of just got to merge it with your authenticity you're kind of you know, we all speak in different ways. If I sure. suddenly went up to someone and said, on a scale of one to 10, they'd be like, well, it feels very contr- contrite. It feels very controlled, you know? Um, it's got to be It's got to be you. You've got to adapt your own way of doing these things. Um, it doesn't have to be like word for word. And exactly. I think this book was quite good in the sense that like the principle here is try and use a way of gauging their belief strength. Like, or scale to one to ten could be it. Or like I think even here he says like another example would be like how important is this compared to this? So let's say they have really strong opinions on climate change and then racism. How important is racism compared to climate change? Just so you can gauge yeah. where they're at. Like this idea yeah. of like you just you just basically just trying to gauge their strength of belief kind of thing. And like mm. it's just a principle, right? It's not it's not like this is a tactic, but there's many ways you can say the same thing. And it's the same here. He talks about like let's just say you got into an argument where it's like it's a yes, it is, or a no, it's not argument. So, like, the United States is racist, and then they go, no, it's not. Then it's like, then it's the perfect time to put it on a scale. Because when it's, when something yeah. is binary, that's when it's good to get into scale thinking. I think that's one of his points. Like, yeah, if you're having true, this yeah. binary yes or no argument, it's better than try and get the scale out and be like, on a scale of what? Like, on a scale of one to ten, how, how racist is the United States compared to I don't know, another country? You know, that type of thing, where you're putting it into perspective. Because a lot of this stuff is not it's not based on it's based on like binary perspective of like a one two comparison rather than a comparison on a broad range yeah that makes sense um and that's where a lot yeah, of that makes a lot come sense. from because it's, it's like it's like it's dichotomous thinking it's like this or that it's not like like a long range of like potential like sort of variation right yeah, yeah. zero one v zero to a thousand it's just yeah it's that type of thing um and I've got I've got a few more here, mate. And I've almost done with all my notes. So I don't know, I don't know where about what you have. If there's anything I've missed. Well, we've, I've talked a lot about what well, we've kind of touched on a lot of these kinds of areas. Yeah. We've already talked about golden bridges and golden and, bridges, and, which is basically in my head. The way I conceptualize golden bridges is the same phrase of saving face from how to win friends. It's just a way to make them not feel like um, 
they're stupid. It's, it's shit, just a way. Yeah. yeah, it's not a way that's dumb. Yeah, <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so basically, it's a way of making it feel like it's okay mistakes, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so my my last couple of ones here. So there's there's a whole bit on like dealing with anger, and some mm. of this stuff is quite like dealing with ideologues. I don't really want to get into that. Like dealing with people who literally will not say, will not agree to whatever you say. But anyway, so this one, one of them is about outsourcing beliefs. Um, so this one back to what I was trying to say earlier. So they might say you probe the epistemology. They're like, right, I heard this from this person. I heard this from this. Then you start sort of saying, like, oh, this person I know about them. Like, oh, like, um, what makes you trust them more than the BBC? Mm. You know, what makes uh, like get yeah. a comparison? Yeah. What makes you trust them more than this source? Okay, I guess this almost feels like an interview at this point. But I, I personally find I would find it hard to bring this sort of stuff up. But it's just interesting anyway. Um, and it's just worth trying to figure out how they see these people they're putting on pedestals and whether or not it's just yeah. like he's a scientist, so I should listen to him. Um, well, that's, yeah, the fact that like, uh, well, he talks about it in this chapter where, you know, seek discon- uh, disconfirmation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, how could that be wrong? Like, okay, you're, you're saying that you believe in this 100% of the time, but what if I provide you a context in which it is wrong? Would it still be wrong? You know, sure. it's like... I think it gives like an example. Maybe it was like guns or something. Yeah. And it was like, okay, but in this scenario, would it still be wrong? And it's, you kind of basically paint it in a way that Uh, it's impossible for it to be right. And so it basically, they're like, okay, well now there is areas in my belief where it can uh, be wrong. Is that part of the reframing? I think it might be. Like you reframe the situation. Like what do you mean? Like Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like, we didn't touch on that earlier, but that is uh, that's a very that's a very uh, potent sort of um, uh, like way of getting people to doubt themselves. If you basically provide a context where it's almost impossible to believe what they believe, like it's normally for like you know strong extremists because most people would be able to see like you know if you posed a situation that'd be like oh yeah of course that'd be that'd be wrong, but like for people that are you know only think that there's one one answer uh, when sorry. you provide this tiny bit of doubt because you paint a scenario where it has to be wrong that's when they're like oh shit. yeah no, no that's it yes no mate you're right sorry yeah i like that one this he even says it in the book i've literally just found a note where what you're just talking about so it says the single most effective technique to instill doubt and help people change their minds is to ask under what conditions could your belief be wrong <laughs> and that's what you're just saying this confirmation thing you make them literally search for when they would and basically i think this is the point you were trying to make then as well right and this, i'm just trying to if they then say it can't be wrong if they can't disperse this confirm it then you know they're kind of like an ideologue because they're yeah. literally lying to you that they can't find a way to this if fine if they can't disconfirm it then is um in his religion it's because yeah. you know anything can technically be disfirmed and if it can't be falsified it's not science yeah you know a perfect example is like what racism you probably get it in the South in America and you'd be like, Oh, do you always think black people are terrible? And they'd be like, yeah. And then you'd be like, okay, but what if, what if someone was to, you know, save your life mm-hmm. and you know, you've got a whole family and they save your life and your whole family from like a burning building. Would that still be bad? And you know, it's, it's impossible to argue that. Yeah. I know. Yeah. You basically, I almost feel like that is too, in my head, that will almost be too direct to in a way as well. Because it's kind of like yeah. repackaging their words in a way that they would never agree with. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I can see why it'd be effective. Um, like like we said before, this is like, it's just the principles, you know? This isn't like, yeah. 
it's not going to work for everybody. Like some people won't feel comfortable doing half of this. I mean, to honest, I mean half the half the battle is actually just just asking good questions. Yeah, that's it. And getting them to realise that they're not really, they don't really know what they think they know. Yeah. Um, the last thing, so I got Rappaport's rules for giving an opposing point of view. Did you get to that bit? Or do you have any? Uh, yeah, but can you go over what Rappaport is again? So Rappaport, I, I, can't, I can't actually remember who it is, why. It's basically there, it's somebody's rules for dealing with an opposing point of view. So you have to attempt to re-express the other person's position um, so well that they basically go, oh, wow, like, thanks for putting it that way. That's very clear. And then you've got a list after that, yeah. you know, all your points of agreement. And then you mention what you've learned. So basically the way you, so like, let's just say we're having an argument. I'd literally listen to everything you said to me. I would then repeat it back to you being like, so you believe this, this, and this, and this, and be like, oh, wow, I completely regret that. I completely agree with that. And then you'd be like, I can't believe you said that because I learned a lot from that. Like, I didn't know that. So you're basically yeah. bolstering. And then, only then, he says, are you allowed to sort of offer a rebuttal? Yeah. Which I thought was quite interesting. There was, um, in the Seems Telebs, you know, the skin in the game I just recently reread, he talks about some of the, like, Karl Popper, the, the guy who came up with, like, the falsification principle mm -hmm. of science. He basically, whenever he was in a debate, his his routine was always, always to uh, repeat the opposition's points first. And just describe exactly what they just said and then go on to rebut all points because yeah. that way showed that he's understood them and listened to every point and then he systematically like dismantles the argument which I thought was quite an interesting way of doing it. It's like before you attack somebody, you need to make sure you understand exactly. I think that's, if anything, this could yeah. be the principle of the book. So not even just instilling doubt, but the ability to put back to them their exact argument with all their epistemology before you go, hang on a second. And also while you're at it, while you re-say their points, you then say to them what you agree with. You say like, oh, that's a really good, good point there. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's great. You know? And then you can, you know, go in on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think if I was gonna yeah, two points to summarize. I think it's it's the the key points of this book is you instill doubt through yeah. using epistemology, making sure you understand their points, and the other point, the other principle, of this would be trying to find understanding and um, you know, trying to be able to recite back to the other person their argument before you seek to disprove it. You know, yeah, so like understand it to the point where you can say it as well as they can, and then instill doubt by asking questions That's and while of... doing all of this while creating like a comfortable kind of environment while, while cycling on a unicycle juggling five <laughs> things you know just try that <laughs> and yeah then you'll then you'll be there then you'll be able to have a conversation <laughs> you'll be able to have an impossible conversation. You'll, be able to, you'll be able to say hello to someone and that will be <laughs> yeah. and then you might be able to get your first date and there you go <laughs> <laughs> uh, right and that's and that's that's a wrap. Well, hopefully that piqued your curiosity, guys. After all, that's why we're here. If you'd like to know more about this book, head on over to our website, wisewords.blog. And if you have a particular book in mind you think we should review, send us a DM to our Instagram at wisewordsblog. Until next time, guys, have a good one. <laughs>